Human brains are geared towards modeling what will happen next, essentially predicting the future. But sometimes they get it wrong. In fact, they often get it wrong. Whether you're a stockbroker, a poker player, or simply a nervous mother, knowing the future would be a valuable asset. There would be plenty to be gained if somehow you could get a glimpse into the future. The Oracle of Delphi claimed to do just that. And based on some of the prophecies the Oracle made, it shaped much of the ancient world. I'm Jake Barton. Welcome to Historium. Episode 9, Fumes and Fate. Just under three and a half millennia ago, 1700 years before the birth of Christ, a goat herder was bringing his flock down Mount Parnassus, a mountain about 75 miles west of the fledgling city of Athens. His goats jumped from rock to rock as the old herdsman navigated the terrain with more care. All of a sudden, one of his goats started running in circles and making strange sounds. The herder's eyes widened to see other goats near the first goat suddenly acting strange as well. He realized that the goats were reacting to a certain crack in the earth. The fissure in the ground had a strong, sweet smell. The longer he stood close to it, the stranger he began to feel, seeing things that weren't there. Surely, this was a place of the gods. The goat herder spread the news of this mysterious place that prompted visions and strange feelings. Soon, priests began exploring the area. A small shrine was built to Gaia, the Greek goddess of the earth. The visions people claimed to have near the shrine attracted many new followers. On orders from high priests from both Corinth and Athens, the shrine was upgraded to a full-fledged temple. Greek gods went in and out of fashion, much like clothes do today. When the temple around the fisher was first created, the worship of Mother Earth, or Gaia, was all the rage. Delphi, what the location was later called in Greek, means something along the lines of the womb of the earth. However, around the 8th century BC, Apollo became the prominent god in Greek culture. Priests of Apollo claimed the temple of Delphi for themselves. The priestesses of Gaia agreed on one condition, that a woman would always be the oracle itself. The priests agreed. This is the reason that the male god Apollo spoke through the mouthpiece of a female. The new legend that spread stated that thousands of years ago, Apollo slayed the monstrous snake known as the Python and buried its remains where the temple now stood. The sickly sweet vapor that formed around the crack in the ground was said to be the smell of the rotting serpent. The new temple of Apollo thrived. By the classical period, the oracle was the most important shrine in all of Greece. Many early recorders of history mentioned the oracle. However, most assumed the way the temple worked was common knowledge and did not feel the need to write down the process itself. However, using context clues from the dig sites around the modern-day ruins, coupled with some later accounts, we have a pretty good idea of how the process worked. Seeking advice from the oracle was not a quick stop. The Temple of Apollo was located fairly high on the remote slopes of Mount Parnassus. Additionally, the oracle only gave prophecies on the seventh day of each month, as seven was the number associated with Apollo. You would have to plan a voyage with rations and gold to spare. When you arrived, there would be a line of people waiting to get in. 
The line was not first come, first serve, but you would be placed in line based on how much you had brought as a gift for the oracle. Wealthy merchants, nobles, and kings waited near the front, while craftsmen and common folk waited towards the back. Pilgrims from throughout the Mediterranean waited there with you. A large gate that read, Know Thyself, stood over those hoping for a prophecy. Most did not realize how important those words truly were. After entering the gate, you would be greeted by temple priests. The priest asked what your question would be. Now, this is incredibly important, and you'll see why later. The temple itself was beautiful. A small market was set up to sell food and trinkets to travelers. An entertainment center that could seat hundreds was built into the side of the mountain. Huge stone buildings housed the gifts brought from around the world. One by one, parties of people would be called in to receive their prophecy from the oracle. Once inside the main building, you would descend into a lower level of the temple. In the dark room, with a few holes in the ceiling to allow light in, you could just make out an old woman sitting on a stand above a large crack in the earth. She was called the Pythia, and she had to be a woman above the age of 50, because they had many problems with younger priestesses running off with men. The old woman was seated on a tripod above the crack in the earth. This is where the magic happened. The priest would ask her your question, and she would begin writhing and making strange sounds. The priestess would sometimes yell and scream. Incoherent thoughts echoed through the dark chamber. Then she would collapse, presumably for inhaling too much of the fumes from the crack in the earth. Oftentimes, the Pythia would die after giving a prophecy and would be immediately replaced. Once the Pythia was finished or collapsed, whatever came first, the priest would begin interpreting what Apollo was trying to say through her. Once you were given your prophecy, you were free to go. The priest would then revive the Pythia or get a new one to take her place, and the next person would come in to receive their prophecy. So let's get into how this whole process really worked. When the priest first asked what your question to the Pythia would be, that's when the work really began. The priests would meet in a secluded temple room prior to the meeting with the oracle. It was there that they would begin formulating an answer to the question that you posed before you officially even asked it. When the Pythia finished her incoherent, fissure-fumed-induced rambling, the priests would give their interpretation which was actually a predetermined prophecy that they had collaborated on beforehand. However, sometimes the Pythia would say things in the common tongue. The priests would do the best they could with whatever the Pythia had said. In reality, the priests in the Temple of Apollo worked similarly to a modern-day writer's room. The priests would do their best to create a prophecy that could be interpreted in several ways while always remaining true and they were good at what they did. Early historians collected many prophecies that showed the skill of the priests that crafted them. One of the best and earliest examples of this was the prophecy given to King Croesus of Lydia in the 6th century BC. He inquired whether he should attack King Cyrus of Persia. If you attack, replied the Pythia, you will destroy a great kingdom. With confidence, Croesus attacked the Persians, suffered a total defeat, and saw his kingdom absorbed into the Persian Empire. 
Croesus had destroyed a great kingdom, his own. In 480 BC, when the Greeks were losing a war with Persia, Athenians went to the oracle to ask what to do to achieve victory. The oracle responded, A wall of wood alone shall be uncaptured, a boon to you and your children. The Greeks quickly began building a wooden wall in an attempt to slow the advance of the Persian army. However, it was the wooden Athenian navy that won the day and saved Athens. That same year, the Spartans asked how to defeat the Persians, and the oracle replied, Pray to the winds. They will prove to be mighty allies of Greece. Within the year, the Persian armada rounded a point off Greece, only to be decimated by a storm, destroying a quarter of their troops. The Persian threat soon ended, and the authority of the oracle was never higher. In 440 BC, a young Socrates, before he was the famed philosopher and Athenian youth corrupter, visited the oracle. His friend asked the Pythia if there was anyone wiser than Socrates. Some records show the Pythia turning to Socrates and asking what he knew. Socrates gave the famous response, The only thing I know is that I know nothing. The Pythia proclaimed, Sophocles is wise, Euripides is wiser, but of all men, Socrates is wisest. Some statements from the oracle were more ominous. In 403 BC, Lysander, the Spartan victor of the Peloponnesian War, was warned by the oracle to beware the serpent, earthborn and craftiness coming behind thee. He was slain from behind in 395 BC by Neocorus, who had a serpent painted on his shield. In 359 BC, Philip II of Macedonia, Alexander the Great's father, sought advice from the oracle. The prophecy he got was this, with silver spears you may conquer the world. Philip clearly thought much about this prophecy, and next year he seized every silver mine in northern Greece and used the funds to buy off other city-states and bribe allies into attacking each other. With the rest of Greece either weakened or now on his side, he easily conquered the entire Greek peninsula. Years later, Alexander the Great himself visited the Oracle of Delphi, seeking to hear a prophecy that he would soon conquer the entire ancient world. To his surprise, the Oracle refused a direct comment and asked him to come again later. Furious, Alexander dragged the Pythia out of the chamber by her hair, until she screamed, You are invincible, my son. The moment he heard these words, he dropped her, saying, Now I have my answer. When Emperor Nero, who had just murdered his own mother, visited the oracle in 67 AD, the Pythia responded to him by saying, Your presence here outrages the god you seek. Go back, matricide. The number 73 marks the hour of your downfall. He was enraged, and in classic Nero fashion, had the Pythia burned alive. Nero thought he would have a long reign and would die at the age of 73. Instead, his reign came to a short end, after a revolt by a man named Galba, who was 73 years old. Around 110, the future emperor Hadrian visited Delphi before he reached the throne. After asking the oracle, his destiny of emperor was proclaimed. When he eventually ascended to the throne, he ordered the road to Delphi blocked so that no one else could get the same idea.
French archaeologists were the first to investigate the site in late 19th century. They had read many historians' accounts of the temple, including the first century geographer Strabo, who described the temple writing, The seat of the oracle is a cavern hollowed down in the depths, from which arises a pneuma that inspires a divine state of possession. Other accounts reported a specific crack in the earth, below where the Pythia sat. From the beginning, these archaeologists began searching for that large crack in the earth. However, they never found it. For years, they dug and searched. No crack was found. For the next few decades, the results of the French excavation brought doubt into a previously unchallenged idea that the oracle's strange state was brought about by gases from deep within the earth. But years later, in the 1980s, geologists discovered a small fault line northeast of the ruins of Delphi. A few years after that, a different group of geologists discovered another fault southwest of Delphi. It wasn't until only a few years ago that experts realized that the two faults were actually one fault and met, you guessed it, right under the Temple of Apollo. Historians and scientists hypothesize that the gas emitted from the fissure was ethylene, a natural vapor that causes hallucinations and death if you inhale enough. The side effects seem to match up with those experienced by the Pythia. In the beginning, the Pythia could experience hallucinations simply by being close to the fissure. As the years passed, the chamber was sealed to hold the gas in, to make it more potent when the chamber was actually used. The amount of fumes released from the fissure was obviously waning. By 362 AD, when the temple was in a state of disrepair, a delegate from the Roman Empire was sent to the oracle. When asked for a prophecy, the Pythia gave her final recorded statement. Tell the emperor that my hall is falling to the ground. Phoebus no longer has his house, nor his mantic bay, or his prophetic spring. The well has dried up. It would be easy to say that ethylene gas rising from the fissure on the side of Mount Parnassus changed the course of human history. You could also say that a group of priests skilled at ambiguous phrasing changed the course of human history. But see, I think it's more complex than that. The inscription on the gate that led to the oracle read, Know thyself. The key was not the prophecy given from the oracle, but the interpretation of that prophecy. So, at the risk of being overly simplistic, it wasn't ethylene gas or crafty priests. It was human interpretation that changed the course of human history, as it always does. Historium is a history podcast with new episodes coming out every other Wednesday. If you like what you heard here, rate the show on iTunes. That's the best way for the podcast to gain new listeners. Additionally, you can like Historium on Facebook, and now Historium is on Twitter. 
If you like historical photos with 140 character commentaries, go ahead and follow us on Twitter. That is at underscore historium. As always, thanks for listening.